Well, good morning. Man, it's so good to see all of you guys here with us this morning. Uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Brian. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the opportunity today uh, to, to introduce you to something that we're just calling uh, Beyond Easter. Uh, now, if you were with us last week, we had Easter, and then today we're going to have Beyond Easter. We thought that was pretty creative, right? So today we're going to talk about what happens after we get, after, after Easter and the resurrection becomes real to us, what does life look like after that? Now, if you weren't with us last week because today is your first time here, let me say a special welcome to you. We love new people at Fusion City Church. We're so glad that you chose to come and hang out with us. Uh, we'd love to give you a gift. Uh, that's just our way of saying thanks for showing up. We're so glad that you're here. We, we, we kind of geek out over new people. And so when new people walk in, we get pretty excited about that. And we'd like to, to show our excitement about that by giving you a gift. Now, how you get that is if you'll take just a few minutes during your time with us today to fill out the bottom portion of the program that you got when you came in. We call that a connection card. And if you'll take your connection card to the hub just inside the doors as you came in, we have a gift there for you. Again, just our way of saying we're really glad that you're here. And so, like I said, we're going to talk today about what happens after Easter. Now, let, me, let me set it up this way. Um, how, many, how many parents in the room? Just show a hand. Parents, how many parents we got? All right, good. So that's a pretty good majority of us, right? Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dad. I got a couple of little girls. Um, all right, so parents, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, soon to be or, or one day will be parents. Listen up. All right, I got, some, I got some insider information for you. I'm going to warn you a little bit. All right, so... Parents, do you remember, like, having your first child, and then you were, you were in the hospital, and people came to see you, and there were lots of people around, and there were, there were nurses there, and there were, like, specialists there that would come in and talk to you about specific things about raising a child, and then there were doctors that would come in and check on you, and, and family was there, and, and siblings were there, and, and, like, close friends were there, like, everybody was there, and then you went home. You, do you hear the giggle? Do you hear the snicker? That's all the parents. Because this is what happens, right? You get home with this little life that you're responsible for, this thing that you're responsible for keeping alive. And I don't know, I don't, I don't know how it was for you, but this is, this is kind of how it went in my house. Like we, we were super careful getting Emma, she was our first. We, we were super careful getting into the car seat when we got her home. And like we carried, I carried her in, in the car seat thing, and I set her on the couch. And then my wife and I just kind of stood back together and we looked at her, still in the car seat. And this is the question that we, we didn't say out loud, but this is what we were thinking. It's the question for every parent, right? Here it is. <laughs> what do we do now? <laughs> right? What happens now? Everything has changed. We were two, and now we're three. I don't know how to raise a child. What do we do? Last week, we talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and I feel like, I hope that I did, and I feel like I did a decent job at least, uh, of giving all of us some confidence that we really can believe what the Bible says about the resurrection. That there's a lot of evidence, both in the Bible and outside of the Bible, that would logically lead us to believe that this is true. That Jesus Christ raised from the dead. That he was dead and that he came back to life. 
If that is true for you, like it has been true for me, then there should be a moment in your life or there should have been a moment in your life at some point when, when the resurrection became real to you that you asked this question, oh my gosh, the man who died for my sins came back to life. What do I do now? If that's real, then it changes everything. What do I do now? Interestingly enough, that was the exact same response to a lot of the people that heard Peter an eyewitness of the resurrection, tell them that Jesus had, in fact, came back to life. If you, if you were here with us last week, we said that following the resurrection, that the apostles, the 12 men closest to Jesus, or the 11 in this case because of the, the, the betrayer, the, the traitor, Judas, the, the, the 11 apostles became the boldest witnesses about the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we would ever see and will ever see on, on the face of the planet in history ever. They were so bold in proclaiming this and they're going to the people to the actual people that had Jesus crucified and do you remember what they said do you remember what remember what we said last week that they told the people they said you killed him God raised him we've seen him say you're sorry right remember that we talked about that last week that was the message of the disciples following the resurrection so I wanted to read a little bit of that so we kind of get the context for it so if you would if you have your Bibles look with me at Acts chapter 2 And I'm just going to read several verses and we'll skip down and grab just a couple of more. So Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, it says this. Again, this is Peter speaking. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Like you saw the cool stuff he did, right? You guys saw it. You saw the miracles. You saw the wonders. You saw the signs. You know this man was from God. That's Peter's message. I'm, I'm a little more thug than Peter, but that's, like kind of, that's kind of how he was getting at it, right? And he says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it, it being death. All right, let's skip down and grab verse 37, and we'll go through 41. Now, when they heard this, you killed him, God raised him, we've seen him. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. It had a significant impact, cut to the heart. And they said to, the, said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Look at this. Brothers, what shall we do? Modern age translation. What do we do now? And Peter said to them, repent. That's say you're sorry, by the way. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. 
And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The immediate response. The directive from Peter to all of those who would ask the question, what now? The first step of obedience that Peter calls those who have just received a relationship with Jesus Christ. The first step of obedience is this. Repent, turn away from the way that you've been living, and be baptized. Be baptized. To add to that, Jesus. You know, Jesus, him, that guy, the one that came back from the dead. Like He came back from the dead, showed himself to the apostles, to about 500 other people, Before he would ascend into heaven to go and sit where he sits currently as the risen Savior, he he gathered all of his guys together. He gathered the apostles together. And he gave them a final kind of here's what you do now remarks. We know it as the Great Commission. I want to read just one verse out of the book of Matthew chapter 28 and, and verse 19. And this is what it says. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, time out. Let's take that and let's apply that to us because Jesus was speaking to his disciples, telling them to go and make disciples, and then those disciples would have the same Uh, the same commission on their lives that the original disciples did. So the same thing that Jesus was teaching to them, Jesus is teaching to us. That the commission for our lives, the mission of the believer, when we respond to the resurrection, when we begin a relationship with Jesus Christ because of what he's done for us and our belief in his sacrificial work on the cross and his subsequent resurrection, when we believe those things, this is the directive for our lives. Go and make disciples and baptize them. That's you. That's a command to you to go and baptize. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hands because I don't want to embarrass you. But if I were to ask, how many of you have ever baptized anyone? How many of you have ever had a conversation with somebody other than your children about their need to be baptized? It's the first step of obedience. It's the first thing that we're called to as believers. And then the command of Christ before he ascended into heaven was this. Go and baptize. It's it's the command for us. It's Jesus' last earthly words to us. Go. Make disciples. And then baptize them. Now, since it is my assumption that not many of us in the room have had lots of conversations with people about the need for baptism, I thought, you know, maybe that's because 
we don't, maybe we don't quite understand what we're asking people to do. Maybe, there's, maybe it's just that it's not that we don't believe that Jesus told us to do it, but we don't even know how to begin the conversation or to tell people what, they're, what we're asking them to be involved in. So, so what I'd like to do for the remainder of our time together this morning is to talk to you a little bit about what it means to, to be baptized and why you and I should be encouraging other people to do the same thing, to be baptized if we have been baptized. So, so let's, let's start just by kind of breaking down the word. Now, I don't know if all of you know this, I'm assuming that, that a lot of you do, but our English version of the New Testament wasn't originally written in English. Did y'all know that? Do you know Jesus didn't speak English? Uh, I think he probably speaks English because he's God and he speaks all the languages. But, but like, on, or like when he was talking to people and when they were writing this stuff down, they didn't, they didn't write it down in English. The, the, the New Testament, the, the oldest version of the New Testament would have been written in, in a language called Greek. You ever heard, that's Greek to me? Right? That's, that's what we're talking about. So the, the language, it can be a bit confusing, but, but the original language of the New Testament was Greek. And it has been translated for us into English. Most of the words in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, have been translated from Greek to English. And how they did it, they were very meticulous in the process. They would take the Greek word and then they would figure out the English equivalent of that word. And so word for word, you get Greek word, English word. Greek word, English word. Greek, that's like how translation works. Like I don't feel like I'm teaching you guys anything new. I just wanted to be clear. Now in certain circumstances and on certain occasions, there were words that could not be translated. Because there was no English equivalent of the word. One of those words was what we, the only word that we know is baptized. Meaning that that word was not translated, it was something called transliteration. Now, for the four or five of you that don't know what transliteration means, transliteration is not when you take a word and translate it into a word, but then when there is no English or is no, is no translatable word equivalent to the original word, then they would take the letters that make up that word and as closely as possible transliterate that word into the new language. For us, it kind of looks like this. So, so this is the, the, the word that we get, baptizo, is the closest English that we could get. We modified it at some point along in our translation and, and called it baptized. But if you notice, the letters look pretty close, but the original Greek word would have been pronounced baptizo. Let's all say it together just because it's fun. Ready? Baptizo. All right, you're going to learn some Greek today. Let's say it one more time. It's baptizo. Right? So, so all they did was they took the letters. You got beta, alpha, pi, tie, like all the Zeta, omega, all the way to the end. That's, that's, and that's how you get, I don't know the Greek alphabet very well. But like that's, how, that's how they got our English word that we know to be baptized is not a translated word. Meaning they're the only context through which we understood the word baptized was from the Greek to English translation of Scripture. Now, this is not a very common word in our English language. About the, the most frequent use of it is in religious settings just like this. However, in the Greek, this was an extremely common word. Now, as a matter of fact, the word baptizo, in the Greek, it simply means to wash or to plunge, to soak, or to dip. They would use this term for, um, for, for boats that went under, for, for boats that sunk. They would use this for anything that they were talking about that was going to be, uh, that was going to be washed 
people who drowned. They, they would say that they were baptized, like baptized. We don't, we don't drown people when we baptize them. That would be a bad, be a bad Sunday when that happens, if that ever happens. We don't say when. We'll say if. No, never, neither, neither, neither if or when. That's never going to happen. We're never going to drown anybody here. But this would have been a common understanding of, of the Greek word. As a matter of fact, on a couple of different occasions, even in our New Testament, the word baptize or baptizo shows up in our text or in the English version of the New Testament that is not translated baptize. Let me give you a couple of examples. Mark uh, chapter 7, verse 4. This is Jesus talking about the Pharisees, and he says this. He says, and when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they baptizo, unless they wash. The word here is translated wash, but it's the same word, baptize, baptizo. It's the same word that shows up in Mark 7 that we know to be baptized. But he's not saying, he's, of course he's not saying, and when they show up, they do not eat unless they've been baptized. Like that's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying they, they don't eat unless they, unless they wash their hands, unless they wash. And continuing in the verse, it says, and there were many other traditions that they observed, such as the, and it's a different translation, but the same root is baptizo, or baptuso here, uh, is the, the Greek word, baptuso, such as the washing, baptuso, of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So when you go home today and eat lunch and you got all the dishes done, right, after you get done, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I cleanse you, like dish number one, like, like so you baptize your dishes when you get home, right? So it's, it's to wash. To, to wash your dishes, to wash their dishes, the cups and pots and copper vessels. Likewise, another verse, just another example. Luke chapter 11, verse 38. Now the, the Pharisees talking about Jesus said this. It says, the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash. This is baptize. He did not first baptize, baptizo, before dinner. Again, it's the same translation. So it's a, very, it's a very common Greek word. As a matter of fact, one of the things that, uh, that the people who believe like us in, in, the, in the process of baptizing by immersion in the church, one, one of the, the resources that a lot of people will point to is actually an ancient, it's very old, a Greek philosopher uh, back in, I think, like 200 B.C. So forever and ever and ever ago, 200 B.C., uh, a Greek philosopher by the name of Nicander, he wrote a very famous now recipe for pickles. And the word baptizo shows up twice in his recipe. He said, first, you would baptizo the cucumbers into boiling water. So you baptize the pickles into the water. So you baptizo the pickles into the hot water. And then later, you would baptizo them into vinegar. That was his recipe for making pickles. So you baptize the cucumbers into boiling water. And then you baptize them into vinegar. And then when they die, they go to heaven. Right? Because they've been... No, that's not how it works. All right. So, but, but so look, all, all this to say that this word baptizo was an extremely common word in the Greek language. Now, some of you are already ahead of me, and this is the question that you're asking. How then, if this is such a common word in the Greek, why in some instances does it get translated wash and in other places get translated Baptize. Where, where did this word find or get its, its theological meaning or the theological principle that we now know of being baptized? 
So in order for me to explain that, we've got to do a brief history lesson. For all of you history buffs, just hang with me for a moment, for those of you who are not. So back in the Old Testament, so pre-Jesus, before Jesus, back in the Old Testament, when Gentiles wanted to become Jewish. So there were a lot of Gentiles. We, anybody who is not Jewish is considered a Gentile. So for the majority of us, we were at one time, we are considered Gentiles because we're not Jewish. Gentiles desiring to become Jewish in the Old Testament, but because they see the, 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 the single God of the Jews and they thought that was probably a better way to live. And so they say, hey, we're Gentiles, but we believe that your one God way is the right way of doing things. And we don't want to be Gentiles anymore. We want to be Jewish. How do we become Jewish? Because you can't die and be reborn Jewish. They couldn't do that. And so the Jews, the, the temple leaders and the nation of Israel and all their religious leaders came up with a process by which someone could, could move from being considered a Gentile to, be considered, being, to being considered a Jew. Now, that process involved several steps. The first of those for the men folk um, was you had to do a little surgery um, called circumcision. All right. So I'm guessing there were probably a whole lot more female converts than men uh, because it involved so circumcision, for those of you who don't know, is when they take, no, I'm sorry, you know what circumcision is, right? Like if you, if you, don't, if you don't quite know what that is, see me after. I'll, uh, I'll handle the explanation for you uh, in, a, in a setting not from the stage where we talk about those kind of things. But, but the first would be circumcision. For the men, they had to be circumcised, a little surgery. The second was they had to go through a covenant meal, like a Passover meal or something like that. They had to participate in, in, a, in a very ceremonial, covenantal meal. They had to acknowledge the law of Moses and all that it stood for and all that it, took, all that it said that they had to do. They had to begin to, to live as a Jew under the law of the Jewish people. They had to offer a sacrifice, so they had to offer their first sacrifice to God because that was the Old Testament way of atoning for sin and that's just kind of the way they did things back then. So this, this Gentile desiring to become a Jew had to go through this ceremonial uh, process of a sacrifice. And then the last thing that they had to do was a ceremonial washing. It was a washing. And it was something that was done in private. It was something that they did on their own. Nobody did it to them. It was something that, that you would have done on your own desiring to become a, a Jew. You would have gone through a ceremonial washing. Now the Jews understood that this kind of washing, though they would have used the same term for it, to be baptizoed, right? I don't think you added ed, but that's kind of how we're going to do it because English is about the only thing I speak, uh, English and bad English. <laughs> like, so the baptizoed would have been how they would have gotten through this ceremonial washing. But they would have understood that this, this washing was much different than to say like washing a pot. No, this was, this was significant. It had a different connotation. It had a different meaning. It had a different application because they weren't just washing to get clean. They were washing to symbolize. And so entered into our context was this now new definition or new meaning for this term, baptizo, or to be washed or to be cleansed. Now, bunches and bunches of years later, Jesus shows up. And Jesus gave a command to all of those that would identify themselves with him. And the way that those who would identify or those who desired to identify themselves with Christ would do so is through not a, a private ceremonial washing, but a public declaration, I'm with him. I belong to him. I identify with him. And John the Baptist was the first to do this, 
to, to, to declare through this process of a ceremonial washing in a public arena, someone would be immersed under the water and raised back up to identify themselves with the coming Messiah who we now know to be the person of Jesus Christ. And before Jesus left, before he left the earth, before he ascended to the right hand of the Father, Jesus said this, Go therefore and make disciples, baptizoing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In other words, make them or have them to go public with their identification with me. It has to be public. It's not enough that it happened in private anymore like the ceremonial washing of the Old Testament. No, now it needs to be a very public thing. I want you to baptize them. So I want to give you just three, three talking points. If you're a note taker and you want to write some stuff down, three points of uh, just kind of the big idea of what we're talking about today. Number one is this. Baptism is a public declaration of a new identification. Baptism is my declaration that I am publicly declaring my association with my identity in Christ. And this is where you and I now find our accountability. This is how it works, right? For those of us who have been baptized, if you have gone public, if you have made the decision to tell the world that I identify with Christ, that I am associated with Christ, I am of and with and for and about and because of and everything that has to do with Jesus. If that is you and you've done that through signifying to the world that you that's true for your life by being baptized, here's what that means. You and I, because I've been baptized too, if you and I, for all of us who have been baptized, we should hold each other accountable to the declaration that we made. You don't get to say, I believe in, follow, give my life to, submit to, he's my Lord, he's my everything, and then live like he's not. That makes you a liar. So for those of us that have been baptized, this is what it means. We, we should hold each other accountable. We, we should have conversations about, hey, man, that's not very Christ-like. And I was there the day the dude dunked you. Like, I saw it. You've been baptized, and you're not living very Christ-like. Now, the Bible's very clear, very, very clear, that when we have those conversations about, hey, man, your life doesn't look very Christ-like, that we do that lovingly and supportingly and in, with encouragement. We talked a lot about that in the last series, if you weren't here. We talked about how we should encourage one another and how we should help one another. And we're not to be judgmental and hypocritical, but we're supposed to, to help each other get to the standard of Christ to the best of our ability. That, that's how we're supposed to live. But our baptism, for me, gives me the, it gives me the right to have that conversation with you. And it gives you the right to have that conversation with me. I dream about a church that is so full of people that are tired of hiding their sin. And, and to where we come to one another and we say, hey, man, I'm struggling with this. Will you help me? And instead of being judged and put down and demonized or whatever else, there's, there's actual help there. I so want that to be the life of our church. But, but it requires us, each, each of us that have been baptized, to have this mind among us. That when somebody comes to me and points out my sin, 
then I don't get defensive like, how dare you call me a sinner? But instead, to have the, 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 the mental ability to say, you know what? Maybe I need to take a look at this so that I can better honor Christ with my life. It's not an affront or an offense to me. It's, it's another brother or sister in Christ trying to help me better honor Christ with my life. Now, that requires two things. That requires an open-minded person to receive that kind of criticism or that kind of correction. And it takes a very loving individual saying, hey, brother or sister, like, man, like this, I, don't, I really don't like the way that your life looks as it pertains to Christ right now. Like, it's, that's a difficult relationship to have. It's a difficult conversation to have, which is why we talk all the time here. Y'all know what's coming. We talk all the time here about connect groups because unless you know somebody, that's a really hard conversation to have with somebody you don't know very well. It's a nearly impossible conversation to have with somebody that you don't know very well because they're not going to receive it in love because they don't know that you love them. I love the people in my connect group. I feel like they know that I love them because I tell them face to face when we meet on Thursdays. I tell them, I love you. Now let me fuss at you for a minute. Like that's, that's kind of how it goes sometimes. And, and they have every right in the world to do the exact same thing back to me. Pastor Brian, just Brian. Like I don't even pastor, but just Brian, I love you. Dude, you got some jacked up stuff. Let me help you, right? Like that's, there's so much freedom there for that to happen. But only because we've been a group together for the last couple of years. But years start with a day. They start with the first time that you show up. Now, you're not going to show up the first time and they're going to be like, all right, let us, let us tell you everything that's wrong with you. Let us sit down. Let us talk to you. That's not going to happen because it takes some time to build those kinds of relationships. You need to start the process if you haven't. You need it in your life, especially if you've been baptized. You need somebody that's going to hold you accountable because of the declaration that you made of a new identity. You, you said through baptism, I've died to the old me. This is the new me in Christ. If the new you in Christ doesn't look like Christ, you need somebody to tell you. That's how I view baptism now. Fair warning for all of you who have been baptized. Get ready. All right? I'm calling you all this week. That's, that's, no, I'm just kidding. Not happening. That's for you and your connect group. The second thing that baptism is, baptism is a personal. It's a public declaration. It is also a personal declaration of a new identification. In the Bible, every person who was baptized did so as the result of a personal decision that they made to follow Christ. It has to be your own personal decision. Decision, which is why here at Fusion, we don't baptize infants or toddlers. We don't do child baptism or anything of the sort because we believe that baptism follows because baptism is a personal declaration. You have to be old enough and of a sound enough mind to make the decision to give your life to Christ and then the decision to go public with that through baptism. So we don't do baby baptism or infant Baptism here because, we, because of what we believe that baptism is. Now, I asked for permission to share this next story because several, a bunch of years ago now, a bunch of years ago now, gosh, it's been so long, she's getting old, I feel old. A bunch of years ago now, 
a friend of mine named Jeremy came to me and he said, hey, I, I want to have, have my daughter Reese baptized. And just all cars on the table, um, I, I, I knew Jeremy, I, I knew his wife very well, I knew their family. I couldn't remember how old Reese was. Like, I'm terrible. Like, I love my kids. I keep up with my kids. I know how old my kids are. I forgot how old their kid was, right? And, and they're like, hey, we, we want to talk to you about having, about having Reese baptized. And I was like, awesome. I just need to have a conversation with her first so that we can talk through it. And he looked at me and he's like, um, dude, I don't, I don't know how much of a conversation you can have with a two-year-old about baptism, but you're welcome to talk to her, right? And I was like, oh, 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 no, I'm sorry. Like, I thought she was older. Apparently. So like, I was like, oh, so, no, no, no. So, and then I had the opportunity then to explain to them this very thing. That baptism is based on a personal declaration of the individual, a desire to follow after Christ. And, and Jeremy and I, we just, he didn't quite understand yet, so we had this great conversation. Now, here's the thing. I am going to tell that exact same story one more time. And it's going to be on the day that we baptize Reese, right? When we, when we bring little Reese up and we talk to her and we show her to you guys and we present her for baptism to the church, I'm going to tell that story because her dad and mom have been praying for and wishing for and hoping for ever since she was a little girl that she would belong to Christ. And one of these days, I believe she's really close already, one of these days, that's going to be very real for her and she's going to make a personal declaration of her desire to follow Christ with her life and to go public with that through baptism and we're going to celebrate like crazy because parents that have been praying for their kid forever. Now, if you were, were baptized as a toddler or baptized as an infant, that was your parents' desire for you to belong to Christ one day. But that was more about what your parents declared than what you declared. So, so hear me say this. If you were baptized as an infant and you have not been baptized since you made a personal decision, a personal declaration to follow Christ, you need to be baptized because that's when it should happen according to Scripture, that it happens after our decision to follow Christ. Last point. Baptism is not a condition of salvation it is evidence of salvation. In other words, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. It is not a condition of salvation. You are not unsaved if you have not been baptized. If you were baptized as an infant and not since, that doesn't mean that you don't follow Christ or you don't belong to Christ. Baptism is not a condition of salvation. It's evidence of salvation. And the perfect example that we have of this is the thief on the cross. You remember when Jesus was hanging, if you've ever read the story, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's about 20 minutes away from death. So is the guy next to him. And the guy next to him looks at Jesus and says, I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are the Son of God. And Jesus looks back at him and says, I tell you the truth, today you're going to be where I am. The place that I'm going, you're going to be there too. And this dude didn't have a chance to rededicate his life. He didn't have a chance to go pay an offering. He didn't have a chance to make a sacrifice. He didn't have a chance to do anything. He certainly didn't have a chance to be baptized. He's talking about, like, I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life, and the rest of his life is about 20 minutes, right? And Jesus tells him, I'm telling you, today you're going to go to heaven. Today you're going to be where I am. So baptism is not a condition of salvation, else that guy couldn't have been saved. But it is evidence of, it is a public declaration of a new identity in Christ based on a public declaration of a new identity in Christ. Now, 
Here's what all of this means for all of us in the room. Ready? I got three, two different, two different points of application for today. If you have not been baptized, if you have given your life to Christ and have not been baptized after that fact, you need to be baptized. It is your first step of obedience. That's what Peter said. What do we do now? Now that we believe, now that, now that we believe that the, resurrection, that the resurrection is real and that Jesus really did die for our sins and come back to life. If you have believed that and have not been baptized since you believe it, you need to be baptized. You need to be. We're going to do a baptism in three weeks. You've got three weeks. I want you to let me know today. I want you to let me know today. Pastor Brian, I have, I've believed for 15 years, but I was baptized as an infant. I haven't been baptized since I believed. I want to be baptized. If you haven't been to a baptism service at Fusion, we blow it up. We celebrate like crazy because of what it means. You're going to want to be part of that. And we want you to be part of that, especially if you haven't taken this first step of obedience in being baptized. We want you to take that step. If you are a follower of Christ and you have already been baptized, two parts to this particular application. All right, that's what I was, I was thinking. Three in my head is two, with one has two parts. All right, just hang with me. My ADD is kicking in big time right now. Second point of application, if you are a baptized believer, two things. Number one, live like you are a Christ follower. You went public with that stuff. You told the world. And your mama and them were there. Remember? Mama and them were there. And like the whole family gathered around. And you got back. You told the world, I am a follower of Jesus. Because I love you. Remember? Remember, I can say stuff. I can say mean stuff because I love you. I remember that. Let me ask you. Does your life look like somebody who identifies with Christ? How much of your life doesn't look like you should have been baptized? How much of your life doesn't look like you've really surrendered your job, your parenting, your marriage, your checkbook? How much of your life is yet to be surrendered to Christ? Here's my challenge to you. Live like you've been baptized. Live like it meant something. Live like it was real. And number two, for the believers, the command of Christ was to go and baptize. His parting words, go, make disciples, and baptize them. Listen, we don't believe that pastors are the only people who are supposed to be baptizing people in here. I will gladly step out of the way and let any of you baptize, any of you who have been baptized can baptize somebody else. We believe that, we teach that, we practice that. I would love nothing more than for you to walk in here in three weeks with a coworker and say, Pastor Brian, I've been talking to them at work about Jesus and they believe and they said they want to be baptized. Can I baptize them? Absolutely. I'll even say the words. I'll go stand over there in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and you can dunk them. If they were really bad sinners, you can hold them under a little longer. Like, I mean, you can do whatever you, that's between you and them. But you are called to go and baptize. And we're going to give you the opportunity in three weeks.
you haven't been baptized, you need to be. If you're a believer, man, please, come on. Let's be a church that lives like we believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that we belong to him. Let's live that way. And let's get some folks, some other folks in here and let's teach them to do the same thing. And let's start by baptizing them in three weeks. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much, God, and we're so very grateful for the truth of your word, for the promise of our ability, God, to identify with your son Jesus through baptism. We believe, Father, it is the best demonstration of a life that has been buried and raised again in the same way that your son was buried and raised again. Father, would you help us to live like that is true of our lives? Father, for those in the room today that need to make that public declaration of their new identity in you, Father, I pray that you would give them a spirit of boldness right now and in the coming moments. Father, to let somebody within the church know, whether that's writing it on a card or having a conversation with one of our volunteers or staff. God, would you lead them to make the bold decision today to go public with their relationship with your son, Jesus. Father, we're so grateful for the hope and the peace and the joy and the promise that we have through him. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.